Happy Christmas, everybody. Well, I know it's not, but two people have said to me recently, we always know how you're going to be, Christopher. It's always with good morning, everybody. I just don't want to be predictable, so got that out the way. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, your phones, to Philippians chapter 1, I'll be reading from that in a few moments. And while you're doing that, I wonder if anyone can tell me what world event happened on the 25th of June, 1967? What world event happened on the 25th of June, 1967? I'll give you a clue. The Beatles. It was the first ever live global television link all around the world. People could see something for the first time ever. Does anyone know what song was sung? Close. All you need is love. I'm getting older than I thought. (laughs) So I've been told the lovely song, All You Need Is Love, was the first song that was ever broadcast through links that everyone around the world, or many people around the world, could hear. And if ever a song caught the mood of the moment, it was, All You Need Is Love. A new generation in the late 60s tried to make love the guide and goal of their lives. I've got a photo of that generation here, actually. (laughs) Uh, David, would you stand up a moment, please? Let's give a round of applause. We're very grateful that David gave us his photo (laughs) to do this. Thank you, David. You can sit down again now. Okay, we have a second photo here, a bit more serious. A new generation tried to make love the guide and goal of their lives. Thank you. And their motto could be summed up in that song, all you need is love. Question is, did it work? Well, it wasn't many years later, in the 1980s, that there was a new motto. Greed is good. The comedian Harry Enfield in the 80s was famous for a catchphrase. Can anyone remember what that was about money? Loads of money. That's right. So we have gone from all you need is love to loads of money. You can't fault the ambition To put love first. Indeed, it's a godly idea to put love first. But while we may long for love to rule our lives and our world, we so often find that it's sin that rules our hearts. We human beings can be a li- like bowls. I mean, the sort of bowls that you put on a, on a mat and you roll along, you know, and you've got to get them down by the jack or crown bowls. They have a built-in bias. You can't always see it, but it's there. And you roll it, and though it will go straight for a while, sooner or later, it will curve to the right or to the left. 
And so it is with ourselves. Sooner or later, though we intend to go on the straight and narrow, we find that we turn away to the right or to the left. We seem to have a bias away from God and towards sin. Despite our best intentions, it's never long before greed or selfishness or pride or envy and all manner of things and sins damage our lives and spoil our relationships and can pollute the world we live in. The Bible is surely right when it says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what Jesus has to say about these matters. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. He went on to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and follow. All these evils come from inside a person and defile a person. Better health is a good thing. Better education is a good thing. Better government policies would be a miracle. Better international relations are good. Better technology is good. But what we need, above all, is not a better heart. We need a new heart. For the heart of mankind's problems, our sufferings and our frustrations, is our own sinful hearts. We need a new one. And God is on the case. Back in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 36, he says this, I will sprinkle you with clean water, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God has heard the cry of the psalmist who says, Lord, create within me a new heart. At Pentecost, 50 days after the Lord rose, and Jesus ascended to heaven, the promised Holy Spirit came. A new day, a new life, and the gift of a new heart. A heart that would no longer be a slave to sin. A heart that was set free to desire God, to turn to God, and to serve God. And over the last few weeks, We've been following the story of Jesus at the end of his life and the beginning of the church. We saw how after the death of the church, the disciples were downcast. Their hearts were sad and without hope. Then the risen Lord appeared to them and disappeared. Appeared and disappeared. 
And then the promised spirit came and stayed in the hearts of men and women. And they were filled with peace, joy and love. They were on fire with this new love that even persecution that we thought about in Acts, that persecution could not extinguish the fire of the Spirit or the joy and peace of the Spirit within a believer's life. The city of Jerusalem is a unique city in many ways, but one of the reasons it's unique is I believe it's the only city in the world that isn't on a river. Jerusalem is not dependent for its water and therefore its life and prosperity from a source outside. Jerusalem alone, the city of God, has a spring within that wells up with water from within to bring its life and prosperity. And in the same way, the Christian is not dependent on things that happen around. Even if there's a desert around us, we have a spring within. The very Spirit of God that gives us life and prosperity in Jesus Christ, in the riches of Christ. Stephen, one of the disciples, was filled with the Spirit. We read in Acts 6 that he was filled with grace and power and that his face was like that of an angel. And as he was stoned to death, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. The power of the spirit within to bring peace, joy, love and forgiveness. And standing close by to Stephen as he was stoned to death was a man with a heart of stone towards God and a heart that was filled with hatred towards God's people. Who can tell me his name? It was Saul. And it may be that you know someone, not perhaps someone who hates Christians, but someone whose heart is turned away from God, whose mind is closed and really doesn't want to know. And perhaps you and I have all but given up hope. Do we actually believe they could ever change? That that heart could be changed? That it could have a brand new life and a new heart leaning towards God? We sometimes find that hard to believe. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, but I'm going to begin with a few verses from Acts first about Saul, just to highlight the change. This was how Saul, who later became Paul, once was. So I'll read these verses, then go straight into Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who were there who belonged to the way, that belonged to Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Isn't that amazing? What a contrast. What a transformation. That isn't a better heart. That's a new heart. A new life. What happened? Well, God was on the case, wasn't he? I will give you a new heart, he said. Put a new spirit in you. I will renew your heart. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Saul met Jesus and became Paul. A new day, a new man, a new life, a new heart. May we never give up hope for those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. For nothing is impossible with God. When a person repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus, their sins are forgiven. And they receive the gift of eternal life, a new life, a life with a new heart. It's a life born of the Spirit of God within. And Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we read how the Spirit of God hovered or brooded over that which was formless and without light, dark and chaotic. But then by the word of God and the spirit and power of God, that which was chaotic became ordered. Creation came into being. The word used is cosmos, which means order. The spirit took that which was disordered, diseased and chaotic and turned it into order peace and harmony. God's creation reflects God's own character. The peace and harmony and love of Father, Son and Spirit. 
And this order of creation, reflecting the order of God, is reflected in the order of the days of the week. God is saying this is an ordered creation. Day one, day two, day three. That's how we order our lives. God is a God of order. Creation reflects that order. And now, with the coming of Spirit, there is a new act of creation by the Word, by the Spirit. And God takes away our disordered lives, our chaotic lives, our sinful hearts, and he gives us a new life that reflects the life of God. Lives that are ordered, lives that are filled with peace and love, in harmony with God, with ourselves, with one another, and part of the harmony of creation. In his second letter, Peter speaks of how the Christians participate in the divine nature. Christians share in God's peace and harmony when the Spirit comes to bring new life, a new heart. So, when you become a Christian, you don't so much as turn over a new leaf in the book of your life. You become a new book with a new story by a new author, God himself. And you'll be pleased to know it's a love story. And it will have the happiest of endings. You can't wait. You can read the end of the story around Revelation 21. Spoiler alert there, by the way. And over the next ten weeks or so, we will be looking at this lovely letter of Paul to the Philippians. Seeing what this new Christian life with a new heart is like. What's it all about? And we should be making use of the chapter headings of a book that Nicky Gumbel wrote called A Life Worth Living. And we're going to be seeing how over these weeks that this God-given life is new life and that it has a new purpose. We live to the glory and praise of God. That is our new purpose that we didn't have before. This is something we can be passionate about. It's not just good, it's essential to have passion in life. Especially when you belong to God, because God is a passionate God. And he wants his people to be a passionate people. We have a new purpose, we have a new attitude. If we are to live right, then it includes thinking right. And we'll be looking at that later on. We will need the mind of Christ. To think right and live right. And Paul will speak about that. A new purpose, a new attitude. We shall see that we have new responsibilities as Christians to fulfill. There are new friendships to enjoy. Partnership in the gospel. We rejoice to not be alone but to be part of a family together. There's a new confidence in God. We no longer have to be slaves to sin or defeat or habits that we can't shake. We can have a new confidence in God that what he began in us, he will complete. Christians have no cause to be pessimistic. 
we are optimistic because we belong to God. There are new ambitions that will challenge us, excite us and inspire us. New resources to equip us to serve God and to become like Christ. And a new generosity to be like our generous God who so loved the world that he gave... What did he give? Yeah. I would say that was generous, wouldn't you? That whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life, new life with a new heart. Now, is it just me, or does that sound like an exciting life? Hmm? Does that sound like a life worth living? Or dying for? I think so. You won't find God promising that that life is an easy life, or it doesn't have difficulties or disappointments. Or it isn't a life without challenge, or some confusion. But to quote the Hollywood actor James Stewart from one of the most popular films of all time at Christmas. It's a wonderful life. And God wants you to have that life and enjoy it. I'm going to spend just a few minutes now having a look at these verses 1 to 11 about the new heart that we have. In verse 1, you can see that it's a servant heart. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now when you meet someone for the first time, the first question they normally ask you is, what do you do? What do you do? We are obsessed with what we do in this country, not what we are, but that's another sermon for another day. And I've never said, but I've always wanted to say to that, when they say to you, what do you do? I want to say, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That would be a conversation starter or stopper, wouldn't it? (laughs) But it's the most important thing about me. It's the most wonderful thing about me. It's the most wonderful and most important thing about any Christian. We are servants of Jesus Christ. We all do different things at different times in our lives. But Christians are always servants of Jesus Christ. Whether we're married or single or widowed. Whether we're rich or poor, employed or not employed. Whether we like our job or don't like our job. Whether we're healthy or not. Whether we're young or not. Whether we are well educated or not. We are servants of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing more exciting or rewarding or honouring to be a servant of Jesus Christ. The creator of the universe. The redeemer of all creation. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the saviour of the world. We serve him. So what are you going to say next someone says what time someone says what do you do? What are you going to say? No, you're not. <laughs> but at least we might think about it and think, oh, one day I'm going to do that. New life, new heart, a servant heart. And Jesus knelt down and washed the feet 
of his disciples. Verse 3, a thankful heart. How can our hearts be anything but full of thanks for Jesus Christ and his new life and thankful for our new address? Did you know that this new life comes with a new address? Verse 1. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. You have two addresses. You have this earthly address and then you have a new address in Jesus Christ. That is where Christians live. When my daughter Emma and her husband Dale uh, moved a few years ago, they gave their addresses Aldwick, which is a lovely little village, just on the edge of Bognor Regis. And I said, I thought you lived in Bognor Regis. They said, well, we do really, but it sounds so much better if you say you live in Aldwick. There's no better address in the world than where the Christian lives. I don't mean living in Crawley. I mean living in Christ. It doesn't have five stars, but you do live with the one who made the stars, and that's good. To live in Christ is to live in a home that is secure, where you'll never lack anything you need, and it's a home of love. A heart of thanks for Jesus, for our new address, for our new family. That's all there in verse 4. I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul has these people in his heart. Our brothers and sisters. When you live in Christ, you find that there's a whole family there. Brothers and sisters in Christ. A servant heart, a thankful heart. You can see that it's a prayerful heart that we receive. We pray for one another in happy times in sad times. And it's a joyful heart. If you read through Philippians, and I hope you will, right through it, it's only a little letter, count the number of times it speaks about joy and rejoicing. And remember, Paul was in chains in prison when he wrote it. But his joy isn't dependent on around here, is it? He has a spring of joy welling up within And this new heart in verse 6 we see is a confident heart. He has confidence in God about what God will achieve. In 2008, Russia began building what was intended to be the world's tallest building. It will be green, I don't mean the colour, but I mean ecologically. The building material will be mostly the latest material, which was carbon fibre. It would be a five-star hotel. It would be an amazing observation deck. It would have luxury flats and it ended up as a car park. The political will changed and they ran out of cash. And though they began with great confidence, it was never completed. And it became something so much less than what was intended. Brothers and sisters, we will one day be like Jesus, which is more wonderful than we can ever imagine. It is God's eternal and unchanging purpose that all of his children and his children together should be like his son, Jesus Christ. This is the will of God, to be with him, to be like him, to enjoy him, 
to serve him and worship him forever. A servant heart, a thankful heart, a prayerful heart, a joyful heart, a confident heart in God, and of course, a loving heart. How could it be anything else? Paul's heart was once a heart of stone towards God and of hatred towards God's people. But now it's full to overflowing with love for God and God's people. Our God, Father, Son and Spirit is a community of love. And by the Spirit we too can be born again into this community of love. Partake in the divine nature and know the order, peace, joy and love welling up within us. And I shall close with uh, four or five verses from 1 John. And then I'll finish with Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 and Paul's lovely prayer. So first from 1 John chapter 4, let me read this. If you want to follow it, that's 1 John 4 verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Philippians 1 verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen.